Welcome to the SLP Stress Management Podcast, your place to manage stress, reduce burnout, and find more balance in your life. I'm super excited for today's episode. I am here today with fellow SLP Kate Van Vuren, who is not only a fellow SLP, but a fellow coach. So welcome, Kate. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Thank you for having me. Yes, this is really, really cool. I felt like when I first started like venturing into um, not just the world of SLP, but like the world of mindfulness and coaching and working with stress and everything, I felt like I was um, kind of like alone in it. Like I wasn't lonely. I just felt like, hey, I do this other thing and, and People were like, oh, okay, cool, but there weren't as many people doing it and talking about it. Um, so I kind of almost like would keep it a secret <laughs> for a while. And now I love that there are so many more, um, including you, like you're here and you are doing some really, really awesome things for SLPs and grad students. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course. I think there's a lot of space in the field of speech pathology to, to welcome life coaching and, you know, wellness. So I'm really excited to be kind of doing this dual <laughs> thing, if you will. It's so interesting to see and learn how much of that mindfulness that you were talking about and the wellness, how that plays into our profession as speech therapists. Yeah, it is something that we definitely need. And I mean, there are so many of us and so many students um, that it's, you know, it's just a lot of people, but then it's also something that with our field being so stressful and especially right now in 2020, things being like the stress is multiplied by like a million. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it's just even more important to like take care of ourselves and you know, figure out how to not be as stressed or burnt out. And um, yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm so glad that there are so many resources for people. So for listeners that may not know you yet, um, or that do, but maybe don't know, you know, kind of your, your story or, or really how you got to where you are today um, as an SLP, um, how did you kind of get started like working towards coaching or what have your experiences with stress as an SLP and even as a, a grad student been? Yeah. So it, it definitely starts in grad school. Um, I'm, I think yeah. that's a lot of us, right? We all go through a, quite a bit of change in those few years. Um, but I mean, in full disclosure, I have struggled with my mental health um, since I was a teenager. So even in high school, I was dealing with anxiety and depression. And I think that those years were very formative in the way that I view mm -hmm. mental health um, and just placing a lot of value on my health and wellness. So I think I had some of that life experience prior to entering grad school where I knew how important it was to take care of myself. Um, so when I entered grad school, I mean, similar to everyone, right? It's just a whirlwind of emotion and change. And I think a lot of that just fosters stress and that feeling of overwhelm that's you just can't escape because, you know, we enter grad school with this like competition mindset that we need to 
the article mm-hmm. every single day and it's totally exhausting. And so my first year in grad school, truthfully, was just a blur. I mean, it was just adjusting to living in a different state, being with brand new people and, you know, all the emotions that come with that. But going into my second year is when I really started to recognize how much um, my anxiety and depression was manifesting again. And so to kind of paint a picture of what my, the second year was like, especially those first couple months, um, I had come back from a trip abroad, actually, which was amazing. It was an incredible clinical experience. Um, so I was kind of riding the high of that. And then mm-hmm. back to Arizona, where I was just back in class. And I had uh, finished an independent research study, and that was accepted at ASHA. So me and my classmate were getting ready to present that, you know, you know, all the, all the edits and stuff that come with it after you get acceptance. Um, so we were, yeah, I can imagine it's like the excitement of it and then the reality of it. Right. You're like, oh my gosh, I have to make a poster. Wait, how do I do this? How do I format? Like all those questions, you know, so that Mm -hmm. was a project. Um, and then I of course was taking classes. I was also doing a clinical rotation and also, um, in terms of classes, I was part of a, um, I was a grant recipient and part of that was taking additional coursework. So I was taking more than considered like the full load and wow. others. And then I made the decision to do a thesis, which I don't regret at all. It was one of the best decisions I made in grad school, but I was getting ready to deploy a second uh, study that was a follow-up to that initial study. So I was like up to my I was just drowning. I was drowning in work. And that grind mentality was just finally catching up with me where I was so exhausted um, that I really couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it started manifesting in ways where I just, I wasn't really eating as much. I definitely was not working out. And I just kind of hit a breaking point where I was having like panic attacks almost every single day. Like I can literally remember crying in the shower or like holding it in and waiting for my roommates to leave the house so that I could then cry because I was so overwhelmed. And it's just, I mean, looking back, it's like, wow, why didn't I go get, you know, help sooner or like try, try some of those mindfulness things that we talk about. But, um, I, you know, I got to that point where I had kind of a gut check, excuse me, gut check with myself. And, realized that I'd been in this position before prior, you know, in high school and stuff. And I was like, do I really want to go down this path of the anxiety and the depression affecting me every single day? Or do I want to do something about it? I've done it before. I can do it again. So I just had that, you know, real talk with myself. And um, I went to get help um, to see a counselor and he was amazing. But the first thing he said to me was, well, what are you doing for exercise? And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I do not have time to work out. Like, this is not okay. And um, I don't know if that's something you relate to, but I often, with the women I work with as a coach, I often get the excuse, well, there's not enough time. And I I was doing the same thing. I was like, I don't have time to work out. I'm not doing that. But I you know, growing up was an athlete. I played soccer in college and track was a huge part of my life in high school as well. And I knew the benefits, right? Like 
we understand that there are so many benefits to working out. So I started just working out. I committed to three weeks of one workout a day. And that was really the catalyst to create this whole change in me and really overhaul my lifestyle, if you will. Um, so the workouts turned into the nutrition and then the nutrition turned into the mindset. And so over the last, I would say about seven months of grad school, I really dove into this wellness concept. And as I was developing more and more skills on my own, I, I was able to actually take a step back and kind of look at the other women in my cohort and see how things were or were not manifesting in their life. And I think that was kind of the first experience where I was like, oh my gosh, we as a profession need to do something about this concept of burnout, the you know rates of anxiety and depression in graduate students and mm -hmm. really create the systems or create the space for people to talk about this because it affects us so much. It really does. And I, I think that from what I've heard, like I, I went to grad school, like I graduated in 2008. So I feel like ancient in the field of speech therapy, but I, you know, so 2006 to 2008, like that was a pretty long time ago and it was definitely competitive, um, within, you know, like kind of our competition to like get the best clinicals or, or just do your best, or you were kind of told like, you have to do a certain level. We're not going to put up with, you know, like you, you have to get A's pretty much. Um, or, you know, that type of thing, like that's what we expect from you, um, which can be really stressful. But what I've heard, like when I went to ASHA in 2018, um, and I talked to a lot of schools that were presenting about having to use stress management in their, like, with their students or the need for it. Um, it was kind of seemed like it's just like the competitiveness to get in and then to perform while you're in there and what you're learning in your clinicals and, you know, either your thesis or your comps. Um, it's like this whole other level that I can't even imagine being in now. So while I kind of felt like when I was in it, I was maybe one of the only people like letting that stress and this overwhelm really bring me down. I think that there, it just seems like there's so many more people experiencing it now that the competitiveness that you mentioned is huge now. Definitely. And I think too, some of the, some of that feeling around the burnout and the overwhelm is, comes from like a place of shame where we're actually afraid to mention that we're struggling. And I think as a society, that's kind of a, a stigma around mental health is that it's taboo to talk about. Um, but I also think there's this culture of that's just how it is and mm -hmm. you have to pay your dues. And that is something that I personally really struggle with because I don't believe that that's how it has to be. I think it's, you know, people like you and me that are creating a space for other SLPs to be coached, to get different perspectives that allows everyone else to recognize that perhaps there is a different way. And, you know, of course I understand that when you enter grad school, you don't know anything, right? And even in your clinical fellowship here, there's so much growth that has to happen. And even, you know, past that, but we also have to create a community and an environment that fosters that type of growth, I think. And it can be so blinded by that sense of competition. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, abs- I absolutely think that's true. And, and you do see it. And, um, you know, we kind of, one of the things, you know, with burnout is that like cynicism and apathy that, that kind of just takes over your brain and your, your mindset and your perspective on things. And so, you know, I think that a lot of SLPs have been dealing with that for a long time and haven't had any resources to, to work with it or anybody to really like help work through it. So you do kind of start to think, well, this must be how it is. And so then when someone new comes or is in grad school and you supervise, or, you know, you're talking to them about it, that's kind of what you tell them because that's all, you know, and then that just keeps trickling down. Um, until now we start to realize that no, this isn't like how we have to be. There's so much more. And even when it is hard, there are still things we can do to not feel it this way and to not be affected by it as much. I mean, I wish I had known all of that. Not even just grad school, but like way before, like, I wish I just like, we're just born knowing this, like, here's what you need to do. (laughs) And this would be so much better. (laughs) That would be so much easier if you just knew everything. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I think it's interesting that we, as a profession, kind of take this reactive approach to burnout. You know, we wait until we're at the point of crying in our cars or whatever it might be when so much of burnout can be prevented. So I'm always so curious, you know, if we were to kind of infiltrate the system at the undergraduate level or entering graduate school, would we see more retention in the profession or would we see rates of burnout decrease if we taught that preventative approach to burnout and some of these lifestyle things that really do make a difference? Yeah, I love that there are some grad programs that are starting to like add some of this in. Um, I talked once at, um, I think it was a couple of years ago at UNC Chapel Hill here in University of North Carolina um, and gave a talk about burnout and kind of to what to, you know, a little bit what to expect in grad school, but really to take with you once you start working and in your clinicals and when you're getting more and more independent and then in your CF and beyond. And I mean, to me, it was just like, you know, after being in the field for a while or experiencing it, you're like, yeah, this is just everyone knows about, you know, we're burnt out. We're all talking about it as SLPs that we're stressed, but the poor students had no idea. They were like, what do you mean we're going to be burnt out? Like, I feel stressed now, but this will just go away, right? Like, it's just stress from grad school. And um, I really, you know, wish we didn't hide it kind of from our students or let them know things. Like, I was always told, oh, it'll be better once you graduate. Like, you won't be stressed anymore when, when you graduate and you're actually doing the job for yourself. This is just stress from having to do someone else's therapy for them, you know, or like follow someone else's routine and schedule and clinicals. Um, But once you're out there, it'll be so much better. And then I got out there and that was not, that was not the case. (laughs) Not the case at all. I know it's such a harsh reality when you transition from grad school, you know, to the workforce, because that in itself is such a transition. And for people that you know, go straight from undergrad to grad school, 
this is their first experience in the real world. So not only are they navigating a brand new job, it's also a brand new profession. And then you add all the life stuff on top of it, you know, things like, you know, paying back loans and, you know, if you have to move to a different state for that job or whatever, all of those big transitions take a lot out of us. And I just often wish that there was another layer of support for those types of things that would reduce some of the job stress. Because I think it's really easy for us to take our personal life and the stresses of that and kind of impose it into the workforce. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that is such a good point that there are a lot of people that go from undergrad straight to grad school without, you know, that without taking a year in between or working a job and then coming back to grad school. Like there are plenty that do or that this might be the second career. Um, but yeah, it, it becomes all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm a professional. I'm an expert on this. I am an, a, like a grown up now. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know what to do with this. And it is a lot to, to take on for sure. Absolutely. So what was your experience with, I mean, with your experience in like your stress and everything in grad school, how did that start to transfer um, once you did get into your CF and then beyond? Well, I think because grad school was so pivotal for me and I really I just kind of drew a line in the sand where I was like, I am not going to go down this rabbit hole again of the anxiety. And I mean, I am just an anxious person. I think like a lot of type A people, Um, but um, I just kind of, like I said, drew a line in the sand and decided that exercise, nutrition, all those lifestyle components, I wanted to be that to be part of who I was and what I did. Um, So I was very, very cognizant of creating the time to do, you know, my morning routine or get my exercise in for the day because I, I kind of viewed transitioning to my clinical fellowship as a, you know, a transition phase where I could enter with a clean slate and really create the life that I wanted. And through just really consistent change of showing up for myself every day, I have greatly reduced the amount of stress that I feel in the workplace. And I think it's kind of created this space for me to come forward now as a coach and say, hey, you know, let's have this conversation. Let's see what's going to work best for you as an SLP, where you're at in your career and where you want to go and the person that you want to be. Because I think oftentimes we kind of create this mindset or this, we tell ourselves a story that this is just how it is. And, you know, we're content with where we're at. And I just, (laughs) I believe that being content is like the worst thing that you can tell yourself because there's so much room for growth and there's so much room um, to still create and bring more joy into your life that you never have to be content. You know, you don't have to settle for where you're at. You can continue to strive for more. And I think some of these things that prevent burnout kind of create the space for you to achieve that. Oh, I like that. Like not, not thinking of it as like always having to like push, 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 but like not having to just say, well, I guess I have to be content with this. This is all I have, like, or this is how it's just going to be that attitude again. Mm -hmm. And like, 
yeah, I love that. Like always knowing that there's more that could be done or more that we can expand on and learn and grow with. That is so amazing and so important. Um, because for me, I think that that was part of why once I got into the field, another reason I also felt a little stuck, it was like, I just finished grad school. So it was like, okay, so we must know, or I'm sure we know so much right now, but then I realized I didn't know a lot, but didn't know where to turn to, or what should I know that I don't actually know? And, you know, how do you admit that or learn it again? So I think that that would just be such a relief if that was like something we could all, not like common knowledge, but just something that was like out there, like, hey, it's okay to not know. And we always have room to expand. That's, that would be amazing. Definitely. I think, um, I think if we could just at least have, have it as an option, you know, I, you know, for a lot of these things, it's a transformation. And sometimes people kind of resist that transformation because of what we were talking about, where they feel content and comfortable. And I think being uncomfortable or sorry, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, I guess, in a sense of like feeling that anxiety or the burnout and the overwhelm can be so dangerous. And it creates this um, cyclical movement where as professionals, we just kind of accept it for what it is. And then we teach, like you were saying earlier, you know, then we teach the graduate students or um, the undergrads that might be shadowing us or whatever. We kind of just create this cycle and it gets harder and harder to change that cycle if we're not actively having this conversation or creating the opportunities um, for that type of growth. Yeah, it's it's so true. I think um, I I remember being a student, I had like one clinical supervisor that I just was so overwhelmed from because it was very like, just do it and um like i think i was just super intimidated by like how much they knew and then how much i didn't know um and so i really underperformed in that because of the stress around it and because of like always feeling that like i i was you know um being critiqued but like all the time and then um i had i think my next rotation I had someone that I could actually like talk to and, and talk about like, man, grad school is really stressful. Or, like life is just really stressful right now. And I'm trying to balance a lot. And when I left, they actually gave me um, these like, it, it was like uh, these little, this sounds really weird if you don't like <laughs> when I'm describing it, but it was like these little like gemstony rock things. Like they weren't like anything real, but it was like, you know, she was like, these were, um, you know, this little like trinket I found that's supposed to like, you know, help you feel better when you're feeling down. And I've always, you know, kept it in my desk, but I'm going to pass it on to you because I think it'll help you, you know, as like a little, a little keepsake type thing. And I just always like remember that the experience there with like being able to say, hey, I'm, you know, not having a good day and things are really hard. And then them being able to like, say it's okay you know just like stay positive keep going um was just like so wonderful and was exactly what we you know kind of need to be doing and exactly what students need and professionals even need um 
just that like support instead of, well, this is how it is. Learn how to deal with it. Right. And I think too, it's really cool that you mentioned that because it sounds like, you know, that person kind of created this space for you to talk about your, your feelings or your emotions or really where you are at. And one of the things that I've noticed in since, you know, coaching is that everyone, I don't want to say everyone, but a lot of people kind of have this mentality of, well, everyone's in the same boat. We're all stressed. We're all overwhelmed. So therefore, you know, your feelings essentially are invalidated because we're just saying that this is the norm, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be the norm. Um, And I think it's really important to recognize that just because you're, you're feeling one way and someone else feels a similar way doesn't invalidate or lessen the depth that you feel that feeling or that emotion or whatever it may be. It just gives you the opportunity to create space to talk about it. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we need to, we need to start to normalize. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I know when I was feeling really stressed, I got back into the field um, and things were really great. Like I I took about five years off, came back into the field. First year was great. And then I upped my hours and I moved to a new state and had like a one-year-old and we were renovating our house. So it was just like insane. And um, so... I just felt awful all the time and started to feel those same feelings of like stress and burnout coming back. But I didn't really understand why, because I was enjoying the therapy. Um, I was like, I'm enjoying my job. It's just like, I'm so overwhelmed by it at the same time. And I don't want to feel this way again. So I ended up, um, because I knew there were so many factors, I ended up like going and, and seeing a counselor, seeing a therapist for it. And it was my first experience with that, not just trying to figure it all out for myself. Um, And it was similar to yours. The first thing that was asked was like, all right, what's your self-care practice? Like, what are you doing for yourself? And I was like, oh, well, I try and squeeze in, you know, if I have someone cancel or, because I was in teletherapy, if I have someone cancel or I have, you know, this little half an hour block, I can like do something really quick. And then like, you know, the next little break, I can like, eat my lunch really quick. And, and then I realized like that I was not really creating time for it. It was just kind of this like thing I was like shoving in wherever I could fit it, but in a way more stressful way (laughs) than it needed to be or really should be. Um, And so that became super, super important, but it was that, you know, that it doesn't have to be this way. Like, are you, what are you doing right now? And can you make the steps to to do something about it. So circling back to when you actually had to figure out like how to, to do this, how to not live with feeling anxious or feeling stressed and anxiety and depression kicking back in. um, And they told you like, you know, to add movement and to exercise, to work out. How did you end up doing that when you were already so stressed? For me, it was a total mental shift in one creating, I mean, creating awareness that I didn't want to be in the situation that I was in and then valuing myself enough to create that change. That was like really the first step. Um, And then from there, it just, 
I, I viewed my 30 minute workout or my 45 minute workout as a break. And again, it was a mental shift of recognizing that this isn't, yes, it takes time to complete this, but it serves me longer in terms of my ability to focus, my endorphin kick, my energy, my retention when I'm sitting down to study. And there's, I mean, since, since grad school, I've looked at the research and there's a ton of research out there that talks about the cognitive benefits of working out and how it actually does fuel us. Um, but initially it was just a mental shift of recognizing like, no, I, I do need this time to, um, you know, kind of reset myself, get rid of some anxious energy or some stressed energy. And for me, it became a release. And it's, it's kind of funny that it took me to that point because in grad school, because I, like I said, I grew up as an athlete and, you know, I played select soccer my whole life and the two hour practices were my release after school or, you know, of course, like navigating the drama in high school, you know, all that stuff. Like mm -hmm. those two hours on the field were my opportunity to just exist and do something fun for my body. And it fueled me a lot. And so I kind of took that mentality back in grad school and, and used that as a way to motivate me to continue. And then the, you know, the endorphin kick and the feeling of how I, how I felt after the workout became, I don't want to say addicting, but I, I, the more I did it, the more that I recognized the value of it. And mm -hmm. now, you know, almost what, I guess, two and a half, three years later, I can't imagine life without a consistent workout routine. Yeah, um, absolutely. Movement is the kind of the thing that I think started for me. I was not athletic growing up like at all. Um, and not that I, I enjoyed and I, I knew exercise was really good. Like some of my family members had health issues. And so I knew that like you needed to exercise and work out, but I was never into sports or very athletic at all. Um, but once I got into to college, you know, I just went and worked out a lot and I decided I wanted to start running and got into that. And then eventually um, when I was really stressed out, like I quit to teach yoga and like group fitness classes. And so like that would, because that was like the thing that I always felt better when I was doing those. And so in my mind, I was like, well, I guess this is what I'm meant to do. Cause I really enjoy it. I love it. Like I love teaching other people about it and sharing it. So SLP was wrong. Group fitness is the, is what I need. Um, but it really is. It was just like, so stress relieving to get up, to move, to, for a moment to only really be able to focus on what you're doing. Cause you know, if you're, if you're exercising and you're not really focusing on what you're doing, you, you like fall down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it can, you can like stumble, you'll take a wrong step or you'll like be on the wrong foot or, um, so it's like, you have to mentally be there focused on what you're doing and it gives your brain that break from everything else. Um, yeah. So I totally, I feel the same way if, if I miss, and it's not like anything intense, but if I miss, you know, um, right now we go and walk around our neighborhood, um, most days, most nights, but if, you know, if it's raining a lot and we miss doing that, like if you feel it, not just physically, but mentally, um, 
that stress starts to creep back in. So yeah, movement, absolutely. When you started to like, after you graduated, you started to work, you mentioned that you kind of created your day or your work around your health, your wellness. So how did you, how do you find time to fit in these practices now? I mean, for me, it's really a non-negotiable. Um, and it, I mean, it didn't start out as like a whole beautiful, like one hour morning routine. <laughs> I'm like sipping my fancy $7 latte. Like, no, that's not what it looks like at all. And even right. today, that's what in my head, that's what my morning routine looks like. Right? In reality, <laughs> it's like a lukewarm cup of coffee with like a journal and like, who knows, you know, yeah. <laughs> I think cool, but what appears on social media, but, um, I realized that the little tiny tweaks throughout the day were really beneficial. So for me, I, in the morning, I actually created this and it's on my website. Um, it's called the plan and it's a daily planner that starts the first half of it. The top sections are all focused on mindset. And so it goes through, you know, what are you excited about today? What are your top three priorities? What are you grateful for? And then the second half, the bottom half is a way, um, there's actually a schedule so you can map out what your day looks like. And there's space for you to write your notes and stuff, things that come up. But for me, really just getting my mind right is super important to me. And I think there's a ton of value there. Um, mm -hmm. and that kind of sets myself up for success. So I look at this and I say, here's all these things that I can be grateful for. And then now that I feel ready to go, what's my plan for the day? And the whole thing takes me about five minutes. It's not anything crazy and it benefits me and my schedule and the way that I'm than serving my students. So really I view it as a benefit for my students as well. Um, and then at the end of the day, I just sit and recap. I look at that list and I say, okay, what did I get done? What did I not get done? What am I glad that I got done? What's giving me stress or anxiety and how can I use that information to plan for tomorrow? And so it's a 10 minute thing over the course of an entire day, but it makes a huge difference. And so I think some of those really easy tweaks, and of course everyone you know has their own system and can create what works for them, but the willingness to try something and see it through for a week, two weeks, a month is what really I think differentiates the people that are that see the change and the people that don't. You have to be willing to try something long enough to see if there's benefit. And I think that's where a lot of people shy off and they think it's gonna be too hard or it's gonna be too much work, but we don't have to create things that are super complex and time consuming. They can be literally five minutes or even a minute. Um, and then while I'm thinking of this, one other hack that I love personally, because I love affirmations, they help me a lot. Um, mm -hmm. If I'm having like a rough day or whatever reason, you know, comes up at work, I'll write a man, um, an affirmation on my schedule. So I see it every time I look at my schedule, which is pretty much every 30 minutes um, in the schools. So it's just kind of reminding myself in my mind of something positive. And again, that's something that takes 30 seconds, but can make a difference in your day. Yeah, I love that hack. Because I've, like, 
a lot of times with affirmations, I think we, we keep them in our head, you know, like we, we are like, okay, yeah, I'm going to repeat this to myself when I need it. And then we don't end up doing it or it just doesn't like stick with us as much, but yeah, like having it in a place where you know, you're going to be looking and you know that when you're not even seeking it out, it's going to be there and it's going to just like give you that little like positive boost again mm-hmm. of, oh yeah, this is, this is what I'm focusing on today or this is what I'm doing today or yes, this is so true for me. Yeah, that's really, that's a good hack. <laughs> you should try it. Let me know what you think. <laughs> well, I love that one. Um, yeah, that's awesome. And it's so true about um, taking just those few minutes in the morning or a few minutes in the evening or both it's like I've heard of it as taking charge of your day instead of your day taking charge of you. Oh and God. yeah, and I know for me, that's so true. When I, um, like I'm home now with two small children. Um, so if I sleep until they wake up, which I mean, they don't wake up super early, so most of the time I'm up a little bit before them, but if I'm just like, I'm just going to get up with them, then it's like, I feel like the day has already just like hit me right when I wake up. It's like, all right, we are, we are like, it is go, we are going, we are on, we are, you know, got to get the baby, got to get the four-year-old, got to get everything going. But if I take just a few minutes to wake up before them and maybe like make a like a lukewarm cup of coffee or <laughs> make a cup of tea or go sit and if i have time do some meditation or yoga or journal or something even just for like you know a few minutes until i hear one of them wake up then it's like i've started the day more calm and more present and more you know peaceful so that was what I needed, but it, it's definitely those little tweaks that can help Yeah, and, and don't end up taking up that much time. Definitely. And I think too, it's just, you kind of have to play around with the things that serve you because what served you in January might not be serving you now and that's okay, but it's still just recognizing and having that awareness about yourself that you do or do not need to engage in these types of activities to support you. You know, everyone's different. Everyone's going to have a different story. Everyone's going to respond to different activities differently, and that's okay. But creating that self-awareness, I think, is the first step to really deciding what route you want to go and, and what's going to fuel you as a, as a person, but also as a clinician. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's so true that what works now may not be what worked for you a few months ago, especially now, especially with everything that is going on this year. Like what worked in January is definitely not what I need now, but even like what worked last month isn't necessarily what is going to work now. Um, or, or, you know, like, yeah, it just depends. Like with the seasons changing here, we really were enjoying like mid morning walks, but now we're in the Southeast. It's hot. It's humid. When I go do that, I feel like, yes, I love the exercise, but then I feel drained from the heat. So Mm -hmm. shifting it to earlier or later works. And it's, you know, just kind of that sticking to knowing what's going to work for you, but then also like letting it shift around or move around as needed. Yeah. Yeah. I call it the pivot. 
that's what I, that's the term I use with my coaching clients because you have the idea, but you're always going to have to adjust here and there because you're always in a different season of life and that requires your energy in different capacities. So rather than change the whole thing, just pivot it, tweak it a little bit. And I found that that's been really beneficial because we, we keep the same concept, we keep the same idea, but the way we're doing it might shift slightly. I love that. I love that, the pivot. That's awesome. Um, so tell us a little bit now about, I mean, we've talked about like coaching concepts and things that you do, but how did you end up deciding like, all right, I've graduated, I'm an SLP, I have these tools to help me manage the stress, so I'm not going to be this like crazy burnout feeling SLP in my first year or second year. Um, like, how did you decide to add in coaching to that? Or how did the coaching part start to evolve into all of this? Was it just noticing it with like the people in grad school or kind of where did it, where did it evolve from? I mean, truthfully, I have just always wanted to make an impact in this world and it's taken its shape and, you know, evolved over time. But I just am so passionate about the field of speech pathology and the, in the work that we do. But I believe that we, those of us that are on the front lines, you know, doing the therapy, being face to face with um, these kids and adults that need our support, we have to fuel ourselves. And when I graduated, I just felt so in the dark and it baffled me that there was no type of support for our profession. And I just wanted to fill that gap. I wanted to, you know, create the, the space and the products and the systems that would allow us as speech pathologists to continue doing the work that we do in the best way that we can. And so it, I mean, it evolved from a, obviously my personal experience in graduate school and then, you know, going through my clinical fellowship, I just, every time I had a conversation with my clinical mentor, it was always about clinic. It was never about, which is what they should be doing, right? Of course, like my clinical mm -hmm. mentor was amazing. Um, and, but you know, the, the questions I had were around time management and self-care and boundaries and what was overtime really what I have to do for the rest of my life because then I should be getting paid a lot more like truthfully like you know yeah. <laughs> 50 and 60 hours for this amount of pay I'm gonna work 50 and 60 hours for this amount of pay um and so I just felt so lost and I it seemed like such a simple concept to me like why do we not have a mentor for life, if you will, right? And so that's kind of when I dove into life coaching and I actually hired my own life coach before I decided it was something that I wanted to do. But I had so many other entrepreneurial ideas that I wanted to get off the ground that were kind of on my heart and I felt like I needed to get them in the world. And so that's when actually I wrote my first ebook and my life coach has been really pivotal in, in my development of really pursuing the things on my heart and kind of creating this impact in the field that I believe we need. And of course, it stemmed from that personal journey, but I, I just really believe that there's so much value in life coaching um, in this space. And it was the 
I want to say quickest, but it was one of the easier ways that I could still be a professional and do my job, but continue to make an impact and serve in a way that aligned with what I valued and also still allowed me to continue down this path of speech pathology because I love our profession. I love what we do, but I just, the impact was so important to me that I wanted to help the new generation of SLPs enter this workforce in a way that aligned with the people that they wanted to be. I, you know, um, so it's been amazing. And now that, you know, I'm, I'm in the life coaching and um, I'm learning the skills, I think there's just, there's so much space. And eventually I would think it would be amazing to go get my PhD and really dive into more of like the counseling side and like the psychology of a lot of this stuff. Um, oh but, yeah. That that's like in my mind too. <laughs> we should do it. We should just go for it. Why not? You know, why stop now? We should just complete right? it. <laughs> so. But yeah, but that is amazing. And I love that you work with and one of the focuses of what you do is to help the new generation of SLPs like those that are coming up or or still in grad school and struggling like helping coach them and helping them figure it out like you mentioned before Mm -hmm. it's before they get to burnout before like knowing that they don't have to be burnt out and then figure it out which I do think that a lot of, I mean, that's, that's most of our field, I think, um, at some point is either chronically stressed or unfortunately in, in burnout. Um, maybe not forever, but I think everyone experiences it at some point, um, unless you have the tools when you start and when you like first get into the field. So yeah, it's amazing. And I hope too that it does make like that we're starting to see a shift towards like learning more of this, finding resources, and hopefully the newer generations don't have to like go through it as much. Right. So what are some of the things that um well, what are some things that are like a big thing you would um like if someone were to come to you for coaching, like, or, or need a resource, like what's your number one thing that you could think of that would be helpful? In terms of like a physical product resource or. Yeah. I know. Well, I know. Yes. Because you have a ton and I want to hear all about those in a minute, but like, I guess if someone was like, Hey, I'm really stressed out. Like what would be um, kind of a tip you could give for ways to be you know, more mindful or to help manage stress or something that you would think would, would be really useful for these SLPs that really need it? Yeah. So I think, I mean, the first step really is just kind of sitting with that feeling and recognizing, you know, where you're at. And, you know, I said this earlier, but kind of creating that self-awareness. So Mm. before I would even give any advice or anything, I would really want to just sit with that person and help them understand where that feeling is coming from. Because I think when we talk about burnout and overwhelm and that feeling of stress and anxiety, sometimes it manifests in a completely different aspect of our life than what it's actually stemming from. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I think of an example, like, let's say, I don't know, you have to like 
renew your tabs on your car and for whatever reason you have no idea how you're going to get to the DMV to like get that paperwork done and you also have an IEP that week that's causing you stress and the the DMV might be what's actually creating that stress but it's manifesting in your IEP and you're feeling overwhelmed in your work so then you're you get this complete feeling of overwhelm so kind of just sitting with it and kind of turning inward and having that conversation. And I, I would encourage people to, um, I don't even necessarily want to use the word meditation, but really just sitting with like your physical body and just recognizing where in your body you feel heavy, um, and kind of breathing into that and recognizing why that stress is there or why that feeling is there because I think that can paint a really good picture of where you're at because once you know that then you can determine where you want to go and that's where the action comes in of determining what the best course would be for you to create the result that you actually want yeah I love that and yeah awareness is always that like first step to it even if you don't make the change just like right away, just like being aware that it's even happening or that this is maybe what is going on, it can be huge. It can like just kind of lead to so many other things um, that end up being beneficial. So I love that that is it, like self-awareness and and sitting with it and just turning inward and, and figuring it out at first. That's awesome. Definitely some so, reflective behavior. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now for some actual like physical resources or I guess digital resources, um, I know you have a ton on your site, a ton of really awesome stuff. So tell us a little bit about what you have on your site and your, your coaching practice and like where we can find more from you. Yeah. So my website is just katevanburen.com. It's just my name. And on there right now is my first ebook called The Dynamic Dialogue. And this is perfect for anyone that just needs ideas of how to combat and prevent burnout. So these are the actual tools and practices that you can implement in your daily life. So it's a 21 day guide um, and each day is a different tip or trick. And then it gives you an actual action step to implement that day. And the idea with this is that we're creating a sense of awareness for you of, of the different tools that you can have. And then once you finish it, you can go through and decide what served me best, what feels good for me right now. I'm going to do, you know, these two or three things a day, or maybe it's one, but then you have this toolbox to fall back on. So if, you know, your season of life changes and you need a different tool, then you have this, you have 21 options to choose from. So that was my first ebook. And it's extremely powerful um, and I personally believe everyone should have it because it takes the thinking out of it. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's so hard when you're in the moment, you're like, what do I even need? I don't know. <laughs> and This takes all that out. It just says, you know, here's your map, here are your tools, pick which one feels good to you and, and go do it. Um, so that's what I love about that ebook. It's so simple, um, but very transformative and very powerful. And then the second one I actually just launched about two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, and it's called Everything You'll Never Learn. And this was definitely a labor of love. This is targeted specifically for the graduate student. 
And I do think there's a lot of lot in there that's beneficial for the clinical fellow. But Mm -hmm. this is a combination of everything that, well, you'll never learn, truthfully. (laughs) Um, I wanted to create a resource for students that really took away the the knowledge that's required in grad school. And when I say knowledge, I'm talking about, you know, cranial nerves and muscle insertions and phonetics and blah, 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 and really dive into the things that the typical classroom isn't going to teach you. So things like how to create a routine that fuels and aligns with the cycles of your own energy and um, ways to kind of restore your energy and ways to exert your energy so that when times are stressful and crazy in grad school, you have that insight. And so everything you'll never learn really, um, really targets your self-awareness and really helps you turn inward so that you can then become more aware of your surroundings and how you're responding to that and how you're internalizing that perhaps. Um, And there's a ton of mindset work in there of just offering different perspectives of, you know, looking at situations or scenarios in different ways. So I talk about the grind mentality. I talk about um, collaborating rather than competing because there's such um, a competition mindset in grad school that I don't necessarily believe serves us. So how can we shift from competition to collaboration? So we're actually supporting each other. Um, So I don't want to give it all away because there's so much in there (laughs) that um, I think, I mean, it's truthfully, it's over 40 pages of content. It's very, very powerful as well. And it's perfect for anyone that's kind of in this transition of entering graduate school or you're entering the second year, really finishing up grad school and entering your clinical fellowship. I think it's perfect uh, for anyone that's in that season of life. And then um, the other thing that I mentioned earlier is the plan. And that's just, it's a one page handout and it just kind of helps you map out your day. But yeah. Well, awesome. Awesome. And I do think that like, Everything you'll never learn sounds like a survival guide for how to like live as an SLP grad student, like not just like the things that you need to do the school part, but the things that you actually need to like live, to be alive, to thrive, to function as a human while you're learning all these things and that is so important so important and just like you're giving people this tool to set up this foundation that's just going to take them through their entire career and their entire life that is beautiful i love it so that was definitely the goal with that because you know i want these things to really be a transformation in your life that you can take with you you know as a professional so definitely recommend everyone get that because it is so incredible. But um, yeah, those are kind of the the physical resources. Um, and then just I'm doing some 90 minute intensives for people that, you know, kind of are interested in the coaching, but aren't quite ready to jump into a long term uh, layer of support. So doing some of that and then taking on some clients for, you know, the three month or the six month that are interested in that. So definitely have a lot in the works too. I'm excited. It's been a cool journey so far. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yes, everybody go check that out at katevanvuren.com and I will put it in the notes as well so that we can just click right over to it and get all of these amazing things from you. Uh, and where else on social media can we find you? I am very active on Instagram. Um, Catherine and VV is my handle, and that is definitely where I hang out. Um, I'm always in the stories and definitely looking to post valuable content that other SLPs resonate with. And um, it's a mix of, you know, some real talk, but also some tangible tools and perspectives that people can take with them. Um, so definitely aiming to be a motivation on there. Yes, it is. It's it's awesome. I love checking out your posts there and your stories are, they're just great. So do, do go follow Kate there because you'll enjoy it. It's awesome stuff. Um, well, thank you. Thank you so much for everything that you are offering to SLPs and SLP grad students and like even undergrad students need this. So thank you for offering all of this and thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you. It's so fun to chat with you. Well, awesome. Um, so I will put all of this in the show notes for everyone so you can head right over and check all of this out. And for everyone listening, thank you for being here as well. And I will hear and see you next time. Are you ready to truly manage your stress, reduce burnout, and finally find more balance in your life? Well, the SLP Stress Management course is here to help you do just that. In this eight-week course, you'll take a deep dive into what stress is and why it affects SLPs so much, as well as learn practical stress management tools as you build a step-by-step -step system that works for your stress and your daily needs. You can check this out now at jessieandrix.com and I hope to see you in the course.